Standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A. Go. From Arizona Theater Company, this is Hang in Focus with your host, Sean Daniels. As someone that grew up in Arizona, it's a great way for us to share the work that we do worldwide. And featuring co-host Chanel Bragg. That is our responsibility, is to reflect what is going on in the world. Streaming live from the State Theater of Arizona. Let's do it. Let's really use this moment to re-envision our... Welcome to Hang in Focus Live with Sean Daniels. This is the new Arizona Theater Company. I am just glad that you're here. On today's show, Sean sits down for a conversation with Milwaukee Bucks ultimate fan and artistic director of Milwaukee Chamber Theater, Brent Hazelton. Let's go ahead and bring in our main guest for the afternoon. Uh, and Chanel will join us when she can. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you all to meet Brent Hazelton. So go ahead and come on in, sir. Hi. Hello. So, you know what, what, we'll talk a little bit of trash in a second, but what I want to say first is that, you know, in the, um, in the American theater, I feel like there is a group of people that I think of as like, you know, the, the good guys or the good ones, right? Like people that are trying to run their theaters in ethical, smart ways that are nice, that don't drive people into the ground, um, that say that you can, you know, make quality work and have a family and not break everybody and not, you know, send people uh, away in tears. And I feel like you are one of those people. And like, you are really dedicated to a sustainable future for our our country and our field. And so I'm just thrilled to have you on here to talk a little bit about your theater in addition to your perpetually losing basketball team. Oh, oh right away, right away. Right. It was like a, a total deke on the heels of that incredibly generous That's introduction right. to just jam it right between the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So, so, but who, first of all, we know a little bit about you, but what is Milwaukee Chamber Theater? Yeah, so Milwaukee Chamber Theater, we are uh, an SPT company. Our annual operating budget is right around a million dollars a year. Uh, we do five fully staged productions in two different theaters here in the Broadway Theater Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward, which is a tidy 20-minute walk from the Pfizer Forum where the Milwaukee Bucks play. Yeah, but the company has, for a, a long time, sort of prided itself on being a, a language-rich company. For, uh, I'm trying to remember, maybe 25 or 30 years, actually had a Shaw Festival at the end of every season. Um, which not many companies do that. Does that does it, that bring in the people of Milwaukee? Well, it, you know, it did for a while, I think. Um, but I think the last one was in the early 2000s. And that was uh, a thing that was very near and dear to the founding artistic director, Montgomery Davis. And then uh, Michael Wright took over the company for 15 years. Uh, and I was handed it uh, right kind of at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, <laughs> so, as a, and I know that resonates with you. But yeah, yeah, I had to, to figure out how to sort of start reconceiving this company for um, its next 15, 20, 50 years. You know, Milwaukee is, like many places in the country right now, uh, a very rapidly changing city. Um, huge demographic shifts, not only um, culturally and ethnically, but also generationally. And the, the company, we have a really great opportunity right now to pivot the company to match that shift. Um, the audience is really incredibly open-minded and are, are kind of willing to 
to take a ride. I mean, these are people who really like not knowing what the play is before they see it, which is as a from a programming perspective, an awesome place to be in because they'll they'll take a ride and give you a pretty long leash. So last season, um, we mounted a, a virtual season, like many other companies began to make play movies in our theater spaces. Um, one of our key mission points is uh, supporting local artists. So it was really important to us during the pandemic to figure out how we can get some money and more importantly some health insurance weeks in the pockets of our local theater company theater community so we were the the first company in the state of wisconsin actually to be approved by equity to gather artists to create virtual productions um, on the heels of a, a seven month collaboration to figure out how to make that happen but created four small virtual productions um Apple food guards the island the way she spoke by isaac gomez Underneath the Lintel by Glenn Berger, and then Larissa Fast Horse's The Thanksgiving Play. Uh, shared those with our audiences uh, between February and May, and finished a subscription season, uh, which felt like a major, major accomplishment during a pandemic year. Um, and wound up putting about $150,000 total into the pockets of our local community and right around 100 health insurance weeks. So that felt major. And we started that season with the Milwaukee Black Theater Festival, first annual Milwaukee Black Theater Festival. I had wanted to open my first season as artistic director with the production of Passing Strange to really, you know, say to the community, a city that is as segregated as Milwaukee is for as long as it has been, the my goal is to create a, a desegregated space in this theater where everybody can have a conversation about how the city can be its best self for everybody who calls it home. And certainly we cannot do that unless all people and parts of this community are represented. So I wanted to make a really strong affirmative statement right away with Passing Strange, which would have been not only the largest production in the company's history, but also absolutely the most expensive by at least double to say, you know, we're not, we're not just talking about it. We're actually doing it. And more than doing it, we're investing resources into it. And when the pandemic happened, that couldn't happen. So we still, you know, had all those impulses to connect with the community that way. And particularly in that spring as you know, the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery were sort of coalescing the social justice conversation, really felt like a deep need to respond to that moment as a theater maker. So got together with a couple of, of close local artists and just thought, what do we do? We're in a pandemic. We can't really produce the way we normally would. I have this impulse. How do you all feel? And decided that that let's let's put up a festival and let's see if we can make it an annual thing. Because, you know, for a city that is over 40% black identifying as Milwaukee is, um, the representation of that community in sort of Milwaukee's mainstream professional theater is really painfully small. So trying to create a space and to create an event that could have a lot of critical mass around it and grow. Um, it had a really great first year. It was all virtual. We did three readings of full-length plays and then surrounded that with another three and a half hours of virtual content from local black artists and community leaders, either expanding the themes of the play in conversation or in other art, and are really excited about doing it in person for the first time now with the second annual festival, which is coming up really quickly in August, which will be two productions of small cast plays, um, Charlene Woodard's Pretty Fire by a company called Lights, Camera, Soul, and then a company called Brownsville Arts Ensemble, is creating an original play about the experiences of women in Milwaukee. Um, so we'll do a workshop reading of that, uh, a couple other readings of shows in development, and uh, yeah, it'll be the first the first theater event in person of the 21-22 uh, season here in Milwaukee, so we're super excited about that. This is an image of the title cards for our season's greetings from MCT Project, uh, which is sort of a virtual Christmas card for our audiences. 
um, just basically gave cameras to half a dozen local artists and said, what, what are your holiday traditions? Um, create something virtual around that that we can share with our audiences. So we got everything from a 15-minute collection of Hanukkah home movies to a full, nearly unabridged, two-and-a-half-hour audiobook version of A Christmas Carol by um, a longtime Scrooge from Milwaukee Repertory Theater's production of that show um, and shared them with the community and was really, really well-received to try to you know, touch on as many different cultural traditions as possible of folks in our community and was also another great way to get everybody a little bit more income and a few more health insurance weeks. That's, uh, I see, um, I think now, right, uh, people that are watching can see what I'm talking about. Like you're really putting the artists and the community first, right? And, you know, we, uh, there are some real horror stories in our field about, right, artistic directors who canceled productions by email or disappeared or, yeah. you know, um, you know, just kind of didn't really take care of the people that make either our community go or make our theaters go, right? And so what I've so admired about you is, you know, you're a great example of, like, you don't have to be the biggest theater in town to make sure that you have a deep, impact and to make sure that people know that they're cared for right and just uh, thing after thing you're talking about displays that and lets people know yeah. like you're dedicated to your local community and you know a hundred hours of insurance weeks for people that don't know if you're an actor you have to have a certain amount of insurance weeks to be able to continue to keep your insurance right so don't get injured and don't have a baby just keep working as long as you can to be able to keep those weeks going. And so like, you know, my wife uh, is an actor and she lost her health insurance during the pandemic, right? Because if there's no contracts to be offered, it's hard then to get contracts to keep your week going. So the fact that you were doing that is huge, right? And life-changing. Can you hear me? We can. Yes. yes! Welcome back. Yeah. Oh, I love live um, theater. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's live. It's like, this is what happens, right? opening For a show sure. with no tech it's great That's oh right. my goodness i tried a troubleshot i was having some sound difficulty so hello everybody and welcome to hang and focus all right catch me up where are we at <laughs> uh brent is talking us through his amazing series of programming that they still were able to pull off even during the pandemic yes right, so what we're we're looking at now is um the title card advertising postcard for our young playwrights festival which is something we've done uh, for almost 20 years now as a company on a roughly every other year basis, where our teaching artists will go out into community schools and teach students how to write a one-act play. That workshop cycle will go on for a year, then the past two years worth of plays will sort of get put into a hopper, a community group of community leaders and artists will read them, pick six, we produce three of them, and we do readings of three of them. So for a lot of these high school age writers, it's their you know, first full professional production of a play. Um, and yeah, I mean, the stuff that I, I read these plays and I'm like, how, why couldn't I do that when I was 16? You know, just the, <laughs> not, but, but not even so much the craft or the skill, but just the depth of the worldview that these kids are bringing to the work right now is really amazing. I mean, one of these plays was about, um, the priest who was Fidel Castro's teacher growing up and how, you know, what sort of this priest wrestling with like, what is my, what is my obligation to educating this person who destroyed a large part of this country that I love? And have I in fact done that through, you know, just, and it's like a 16 year old wrestling with this, you know, I mean, just these amazing, amazing ideas. 
so we're super super proud to support that um yeah and that's a, a, a an entry-level project so a lot of emerging professional actors and artists and designers um these are the the headshots of every artist that we worked with last season um from you know the equity folks to those young playwrights folks to everybody involved in season's greetings to that first annual milwaukee black theater festival um just such a delightful group of human beings that's great that's great is that our last photo there oh wonderful so so cool yeah yeah thanks for letting me share that stuff i appreciate it that was, no that that's phenomenal to look back and, on well and you know um you know, I don't know how you feel, but I think a lot of us are dealing with kind of exhaustion and depression at mm -hmm. this point. And you're trying to figure out like, why, why is it, why am I so exhausted now yeah. when we're finally getting back everything that we have asked for? And kind of what you realize is like, yeah, because we were like bailing water like mad for 16 months with no clear idea of where it was going, right? And making, making up festivals and making up programming and figuring out opportunities and bringing <laughs> artists in and you know right. so at some point everyone's like are you ready to go back and you're like oh my god i have to go lie down like you <laughs> you, yeah. you you think that we just turned the lights off for 16 months but we've never worked harder to be able to and you you're like me right you took over right before the pandemic started so you don't even have you don't even have that runway in terms of knowing how things work on a normal time no, really. I mean, just just sort of literally got to the point where we were launching our season. Um, so did the season announcement, then went on vacation to Arizona for a couple weeks, awesome. um, and then flew back to Milwaukee on March 10th. And then March 12th, we realized, oh, this is going to be a big problem. And just since then has been kind of nonstop. And the, the thing for me, because I, I have this, like, I'm getting plenty of sleep. I'm getting plenty of rest. I'm not exercising as much as I should be yet, but we're trying to carve out the time for that. But like, why am I so exhausted? And the the challenge I'm having right now is having put my brain into that space for 15 or 16 months where literally every minute is highest possible tension crisis. Yeah. And, and my brain is now conditioned to expect that to happen. Like even, even sitting here having this conversation right now, right in the back of my brain is this little weird, like RAM process running about like, all the things that are probably on fire somewhere right now and like mm. there's nothing it's okay but yeah. but the energy of trying to get my brain out of that space is really exhausting yeah no i you know we've started like production meetings we started having workshops and stuff yeah. and it's hard to be present in yep. each of those meetings because your brain is taught like we got to put out fires in four places. We got to see, I got to be raising money. I got to, you know, yeah. I got to I have to be doing all the things today. right now. That's right. To be able to do it and get back to them. And so it's yeah. like, you know, even though that's not the case anymore and it was the case at one point, right? So it's not like we're all just false, but like, how do we downshift now to be able to return to a sustainable place? So we don't all get our theaters back open and then all burn out at the same moment <laughs> yeah. for getting through it. Yeah. No, and that, that's a really, an unanswerable question and one that we have to figure out really soon. Otherwise, this this sort of recovery season that we're all in right now is gonna do more damage than the one we just in theory came out of. Right. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about Chanel's hat, first of all. Let's please let's, let's do bit. Chanel, can you can you show off what your hat is? I absolutely can. So what's really exciting is remember when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago? Well, I was in Mexico. And so this is what I bought on a beach in Mexico. 
check it out. Can you see that it says Phoenix Suns? Yeah. Two basketballs oh. on the sides of my head, and I couldn't be prouder <laughs> than to wear this ridiculous hat. <laughs> that, and I love that you got it on a beach in Mexico, not not endorsed by the NBA in any no. way. <laughs> Just somebody who wanted Just to make a hat, had the right audience for it, yeah. You don't get me in trouble with copyright. But no, I literally bought it off of a wonderful individual and they had a ton of different hats. So I almost got one uh, for my football team too, but I did it. I was like, okay, we'll stop at the Suns. Also, because I'm so proud of the Suns. I haven't been this excited about the Suns since like 96. Let's be real. So I'm really excited about uh, repping them. Um, but I borrowed this. I bought this hat for my roommate. And so I was like, I'm jacking this hat for this presentation. So I'm a little bit of a poser, but I am a Suns fan by proxy of me being a local girl. Well, you know, but let's be real. It's been hard to be a Suns fan like that. You know, <laughs> it's you got to be really, really dedicated to it. You I know, was a Spurs fan for a really long time. Oh, congratulations. Oh, but I mean, kind of who I wasn't love... right? Like that who Spurs team it? is. Especially during the Duncan era. I was like, yeah, oh, of course. So, yeah. But I love the Suns. <laughs> <laughs> so so brent how did you become a bucks fan how where yeah. did this oh gosh you know you're uh, we're talking about a little bit about this before we jumped on but you know in, in wisconsin sports are a very big part of regular everyday culture because there's often not a ton else to occupy yourself with for large parts of the year when it's cold and you can't go outside and you're just sitting inside watching things. And also, you know, the, the very significant tavern and bar culture here too. I think, you know, you're going to go sit at the bar and watch a game. I mean, it's just so, it's so in our DNA. Um, right. So, you know, I, I think this particular team, because it's my team, because I was born here um, and for whatever reason, didn't reject the hometown team as a teenager. Um, but, uh, I just, I like the game so much. You know, there there is something so beautifully free-flowing to it when it is played at its apex. Um, and I love the way the individual personalities of the players come through in their games, right? I mean, it's it's different than baseball where you sort of like, that's a very, it's a human level game and you just see people's personalities because they spend the whole game like kind of hanging out and talking to each other. <laughs> um, and, you know, football, you can sort of, getting to the point now as the rules are loosening where there's a little more of that sort of jazz improv coming into it at an individual player's level. But the the human conflict of basketball, I'm putting in sort of theater terms, is is so much more profound and apparent than any other sport. I mean, they, they wear no protective equipment. They <laughs> right. are in immediate proximity to one another. It's played when it's played right at an insanely fast pace. And I, I, there's just, there's something incredibly breathtaking about it when it's done right and done well. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a truly, truly beautiful game. And I will say at this moment, so I just got a text message from our managing director, Amy Sallett, who you want to talk about a tough gig. I mean, she parachuted into that job in May of the pandemic as a first time managing director ever and has been brilliant and amazing. But so right across down the block from us is the Journeyman Hotel, which is like this new sort of Kimpton boutique hotel where all the NBA teams stay now. 
um, oh. literally down the block. And her text message just said, tons of Suns branded folks loading into the journeyman right now with a police escort. So your team's here. <laughs> well, yeah, they made it. That's good. Your team's here. They made it. Yeah. 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 They did. They didn't call to tell you, but I'm calling to tell you. Your team, <laughs> your team made it. And there's like literally, if I could stick my head out the window and like look down the alley right here, I could probably see their bus unloading. Well, that you is know, incredible. What I think is true that you said that is true about the sports that I love and similar to theater is that I love things that are an individual sport, but ultimately yep. a team sport, right? Mm -hmm. That you have, like that you, which I, I think is why. You know, like I love in baseball, like it's a team, but you have to at one point get up just on your own and figure yeah. out if you can hit the ball. Yeah. But in basketball, it's like you it's just a team sport. I mean, like you can try to score a lot, but if the rest of the team isn't there. And I love that. That's about theater also, right? It's like you like you're a great director, but the actors are crappy. No, nobody cares. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work out. You know, like no. the acting is great, but the lighting design is terrible. Well, then no one can see you, right? You know, it's like yeah. you have to be a great individual and you have to be a team player at the same time yep. to be able to make it work. And so the Michael Jordans of the world don't happen unless he has, right? Scotty Pippen and Dennis Rodman and all these other people who are part of it, even if they're not on his level, right? Without that. Yeah. No, you got, I mean, you need role players all across the board. Yeah. Um, it just has to be, but you know, I, the, the thing you're saying interestingly about, you know, a director and, and subpar actors. Interestingly enough, I think a really great group of actors can overcome a subpar director. That's right. That's which, right. which, depending on how you feel about the Milwaukee Bucks right now, is maybe the experience you're having <laughs> watching this team play. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, I don't know. I just, I love uh, the the thing I'm actually loving the most about this conversation right now is I feel like I have been for the past twenty years like proselytizing the parallels between sports and theater, and having people from both worlds look at me like I had six eyes and just needed to go away so this is i'm feeling i'm feeling very seen right now yeah uh well you know like I, i'm great friends with christopher diaz and we mm -hmm. always talk about like how like sports is great narratives right yep. and actually if you watch the olympics right everything that they do will be story everything yep. they do is tell you the backstory of every player and how they got there like they don't just show you the swim meet they like they walk you through, right? So there, it's all about story. And you know, for the Suns, right? We have a head coach who lost his wife. And so the team was there for him. And we have a player who is maybe the most prolific Mexican-American basketball player to ever play the game, right? And so these are, these are like, a, this, like, that's a story. That's a narrative, right? That is just the same as in theater where like, oh, once you know that. And then like I told my my wife, I was like, oh, and he's also dating Kylie Jenner. And so suddenly she's much more interested. <laughs> There's in, the engagement. Which one is it? Not that. Yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, yeah, he's young. You know, and so, but it's like, but that's all story, right? That's sports are great at telling story, at building narrative. Um, you know, whoever wins this series, right? Their town will have won for, you know, first time in forever and forever. And you know, you I remember um I remember when the Cubs won for the first time, right? And there were all these stories of like men in graveyards like finding their father's tombs to let them know that the Cubs finally won, right? And it's like it's very moving and it's very but it's like it's a it's a it's a great narrative. And yeah. and sports are great at storytelling, um, which is what we're supposed to also be great at. Well, right? and the thing that they're they're great at, I think in many ways that we are always trying to do, right, is establish this baseline where everybody walking in the door knows the given circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And everybody has a D 
deep, deep understanding of the stakes. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's so simple and easy and win lose. And if that emotional investment is there, you're bringing that into the building, you know, and I guess for me in theater, that's the thing I'm always trying to, you know, without, without taking sort of a reductive position where you're diminishing everything to a sort of lowest common denominator perspective, but how, how do we prepare an audience? How do we tell our stories in such a way that everybody's walking into the room with that very clear set of given circumstances, right? Like they're walking in the room ready to root for something. So as soon as something happens on stage, they're immediately like, oh, great, I'm in. I understand how this relates to whatever my interest is and take me on this journey, you know? But I also think it's about experiences also, because like, again, I know I said I was a Spurs fan earlier, but I loved working. So I worked for the stadium for many, many years. And then when you work at one stadium, you work at all of them. So I would rotate between the Diamondbacks and the Suns and then like certain um, uh, performance venues. So I got to see like Josh Groban and the Wiggles and stuff like that. <laughs> Ridiculous, but Wiggles. fun. The Wiggles, right? Oh my God. <laughs> but no, but what I love the most about the experience though is especially the people that would come you have your regulars like you have your season subscribers or whatnot or your donors you have your season ticket holders that are the same you know kind of people essentially and that like bond with you like a family and like ask you about the the latest merchandise that's coming out or and then they have such great pride and they're really interested in like wearing the garb and having these personal deep relationships like I remember my very first concert I ever went to was Janet Jackson at the America West Arena because a season ticket holder was like, I'm getting too old to take my daughter to concerts. And I was the girl at the team shop. And she's like, will you take my daughter to see Janet Jackson? And I was like, I will absolutely sit eighth row and take your daughter to see Janet Jackson. So it's just really interesting how many jobs sports arenas really do offer and give to the community um and it's just i don't know i have a big love affair for working in in sports franchises because i did it for all of my high school you know career and a little bit into college too actually it paid for my first two years of college because the world series we got such high commission that i was able to pay for my first two years of college right out so shout out to uh teams and franchises and all the work that you're giving to everyone that works in the arena whether it's in concessions or it's in team shop um because that's how a lot of us made our made our livelihood well and you know one thing that we hit upon uh when we were thinking about like how do we talk about the work that we do right is that the sports metaphor right we say if you love spring training in Arizona, then you should love new plays, right? Because it is, you're gonna see the artists that the rest of the world is going to see before anybody else for a fraction of the cost, 10 feet away from them. And you can see them now, or you can wait and pay $200 when the tour comes through and it's not even them. You know, it's, it's like what they originated and they're able to do it. And I think once we started talking in that way, about it, people were like, oh yeah, oh, that is what we're doing. Oh, you're right, we don't, you know, we don't have to dictate, New York doesn't have to dictate to what, what, what culture is, right? We can start here, we can create it, you can have your fingerprints on it, um, and then it goes elsewhere. So I think, yeah, there's so many positives that we, we often don't look at the ways that we're similar. For sure, now I wanna transition us into some interesting fun conversation about attending in the arena because brent sent us so many great pictures of you inside of a stadium oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then sean was inside of a stadium just what last week so last week so yeah. i got let's we'll talk about this more i'm part of a like 
text message chain gang of like, we all like watch the shows individually and we pace and we text each other. And mostly we text each other what is happening like over and over again. Like we could put that angst <laughs> and we're just like, what's going on? You know, like, you know, uh, and part of it's um, Kimberly Senior, Jesse Sanchez and Marco Ramirez are our group to be able to do it. Oh, and nice. and um, and so just randomly when we found out it was gonna be the, uh, the Clippers, Marco was like, could you get here this Saturday if I could get tickets? And I was like, yes, of course, right? <laughs> so somehow he used his Marvel connections or just his Marvel money to be able to get <laughs> tickets to it. Yeah, and I was able to go and we had like amazing seats to watch them barely beat, uh, barely beat the Clippers. That was a great game. Uh, it was a great game, yeah. That That's exciting. Cute. So yeah. what was your most interesting, so this is the question for the both of you and I'll share my story afterwards. What was the most interesting experience you've had in an arena as of yet? And it could be anything that happened, like you someone streaked across the, you know, the field, you know, any, anyone. So, well, th th so this is what I think of. This is maybe more sad than funny, but, oh, when, no. but when I, uh, when I used to go with my dad to Suns games, he would stop at each level going up because when he went with his dad, his dad had heart problems. So they oh. would have to stop at every level. Mm. And then, so then once his dad had passed away, he was like, no, we keep the tradition going. We like stop at the top level of each one going up. And so you're like, oh yeah, like that's, that's part of the, the narrative that gets passed on. That's beautiful, Sean. <laughs> My story is going to look very insensitive. No, 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 no. I wouldn't do a song, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really sweet. I mean, my uh, my brother and I sort of have a, a tradition of going to Bucks playoff games, which is great. Um, you know, the, I guess, I don't know, interesting or compelling. The first thing that comes to my mind, the the Bucks. The in, the in arena experience during a Bucks game is amazing. Like there's always some sort of every time there's a stoppage of play, there's some sort of game or contest or thing going on. And it got to the point where they would actually like give you the run sheet before the game, right? Like in the last two minutes before tip off, they'd be like, "Okay, at the first TV timeout in the first quarter, we're doing like the beanbag toss, and then at the second one, the dunk guys are coming out." Um, always between the third and the fourth quarters, they do you know like this T-shirt giveaway. And the t-shirt giveaway mechanism is the world's largest t-shirt cannon, which is a t-shirt, a t-shirt Gatling gun um, powered by compressed air. So it's this enormous circle just filled with like sleeves, like PVC tubes that have t-shirts in them. And it just circles around and there are three little compressed air shooters in it. And it just, it, I mean, it's, it's probably 10 feet across and 10 feet tall. And the mask Bango, the best mascot in the league, rides the thing and just <laughs> they just twirl it and just fill the arena with t-shirts. It's just it's it's the best and worst That's in America amazing. simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be the person that designed it. How, yeah, how it's cool a cool it? thing. How many shirts does it let out at one time? Oh, I mean 60? I it's it's insane. I mean, it just goes and goes and goes. I mean, there's enough that they can put it in the center court and rotate it completely in a circle and it will throw stuff this, all across the arena that is incredible yeah it's amazing well, um, oh, oh, oh wow alex check you out alex. That, that's the old one the new one is even bigger than that but alex this is 
That is amazing. Wow. This is tremendous. You, yeah, Sorry. that's huge. I mean, just the fact that that's wheeled out and shot. Yeah. At high <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, a beautiful thing. I want to give it up for Alex, our stage manager, who's incredible and was able to provide that on the fly. So thank ah. you very much. Um, okay, so my... <laughs> I've had a lot of experiences in an arena, obviously, because I worked in one. Um, but one that comes to mind is when I was working for the WNB, I was uh, kind of working slash visiting the WNBA. And so they have their mascot, which is like not a real looking mascot. I think his name was like Sprocket or like something a while like that. And so one day Sprocket was like hanging out. And if it's not Sprocket to my son, to my Arizona peeps, please forgive me. Um, but it was like hanging out on the, the middle bars, you know, that separate all the seats. And they decided to do a balancing act on top of the bar. And I just remember sitting being like, this is not going to end well. And this, and this was before like self phones and everything right it was a long time ago and so i just sat there and i kid you not this sweet dinosaur looking whatever it is just like fell the wrong way and it hit the bar hit their midsection and they just like slowly slid to the ground and i never laughed harder in my whole life and then I was like, was that planned? I don't know if that was planned. And then the poor Sprocket like literally limped all the way back to the locker rooms and did not come back. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure, I don't know if any baby Sprockets will be born at this point oh. because of what happened, but I just felt really terrible for that poor, poor actor in that costume. Mascot down. Yeah. Mascot down. You know, I, I got to say, one of my favorite things about the Phoenix Suns is that our mascot in the 80s was essentially like a gorilla. Is it not the gorilla anymore? It still no, is. Still oh, you used the past tense. I got scared. Well, well, it, was, it was like a party store gorilla. It was, yeah. clearly, it was clearly like an unemployed actor who was sweating profusely in like a, in a, in a gorilla outfit where you could see the line like around his neck, you know, where it separated the gorilla head from the body. And I feel like when I was most recently there, the costume is like a little bit better, but not much. <laughs> in, in, 40, in 40 years, we really have just said like, we're kind of a crummy gorilla. And uh, <laughs> it has nothing to do with Phoenix. It has nothing to do with the suns. It has At nothing all. to do with, uh, you know, like a diamondback or a car. None of these things. It's just, you know, we're just gonna go with it. We, someone had a gorilla <laughs> costume at the beginning and we ran with it and now we're stuck. Yeah. You always wonder how they come up with the mascots. Um, what about Mr. Baseball? I think you had a funny story, John, about well, Mr. I, I have a I have a friend who's amazing who was Mr. Baseball in Atlanta. Um, and he said the one consistent thing about walking around with a giant baseball on your head um, is that every single game, somebody tried to fight him. Some drunk guy <laughs> would try to start a fight with Mr. Baseball, and always the guy would be like, I'm going to wait for you after the game, and I'm going to be there. And um, he said, <laughs> always he would leave at the end, and there would be some like drunk, surly guy waiting outside of Turner Field, like waiting to fight, thinking that he would wear the baseball head home or <laughs> carrying it with him. So he would always like walk right past the guy because the guy wouldn't know who he was. But apparently, yeah, if you're, if you're a mascot, you have to learn how to like fight off like drunken guys because it is always that is hysterical. This is amazing.
Well, I definitely give though a lot of respect to our mascots, considering oh, yeah. especially in Arizona, mm -hmm. as hot as it is oh, to yeah. be in full full garb. I couldn't imagine. Um, my girlfriend used to be the Red Robin Cardinal or the Red Robin, um, and she would have to take her breaks in the freezer because oh. it was so hot. So she would take off her red robin hat and just sit, shout out to my best friend who's watch, probably watching, I'm sure, um, and literally sit in a freezer and cool off. And so I just have so much respect for our mascots and how hard they work. Um, but I would definitely think the Bucks the Bucks outfit seems a little bit more breathable than than the, the gorilla outfit. <laughs> Yeah, no, we 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 invest in Bango. I mean, that's a that's a real thing. And there's there's different versions. He's got different outfits. There's different size Bangos. I mean, one of the cool things about when the Bucks win, um, pre-COVID, of course, we're not doing this now. But you have like you know actual real Bango, and out onto the court come like you know the, like the little inflatable like you stand inside them and they sort of bop around. Um, <laughs> five different sized Bangos come running out onto the court to celebrate with real bango and there's like a bango blimp that flies around the arena and it's just like it's yeah no we we have gone all in on bango that no. is incredible sometimes our gorilla gets an orange shirt that's it that's the only <laughs> thing but look like... the gorilla's awesome i mean i remember in in the 90s when i really got deeply invested into ba basketball my little brother and i um, he was a huge Suns fan, so we watched, you know, a lot of Suns games. And they were, you know, they were great, so there were a lot of them on TV. But the Gorilla and Bango and the Charlotte Hornet, like, those were the, the mascots. Yeah. Yes. That's true. And, and now the, the Charlotte Hornet is wherever, but we still have Bango and the Gorilla. So just another fitting reason why these two teams are playing in the finals. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Gorilla dunks better than any other mascot. I... Bango's pretty great at dunking. <laughs> I mean, once here's a tale. Um, one time, Bango got so high and dunked that he actually like came down through the rim, and Bango tore his ACL. So for the rest of the season, Bango was Bango in a knee brace. And this was when so Bango used to at the start of games. Bango used to rappel down from the ceiling of the Bradley Center to center, like from the ceiling to center court. Um, and hobbled Bango still did that in a knee brace. So okay, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. no, Bango's a gangster, like straight, uh, clearly straight, straight up. up. <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate though that they didn't get like a different performer. They were like, nope, it's yeah. still the same. Yeah. Same. Or person. who knows? Maybe it was a different dude. They just threw a knee brace on <laughs> Bango to like make us think like, oh, Bango's actually injured. Who knows? That's right. That's right. Oh my okay. gosh. Hey, so before we play our game, because we are well, this is so amazing, we're gonna run out of time. Um, I do want to play these videos from the rest of my text group. They, oh, yes. They wanted Please. and they couldn't be here because I guess they have real theater to do. And um, <laughs> that truly, they were like, oh, Sean, I'm in rehearsal. And I was like, oh, sorry, send something. So they wanted to send videos. <laughs> so let's go ahead and play one or both of these videos so that you can hear from fellow theater people that are sons obsessed. I love it. The series doesn't start until the Bucks lose a home game. However, Suns in four, Giannis to the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Some of those statements Sweet. are true. <laughs> no, I know. All right, and then now let's play. All right, coming at you from outside the Goodman Theater in Chicago to talk to you about why I'm a Suns fan, which kind of like has to do with theater too, right? It's about 
look, as long as we saw last night, just typical Suns, right? So you have Chris Paul being control. When Chris Paul's in control of the game from inside of the game, we're unstoppable because because the team plays like an ensemble. I'm sure some people have hot nights and some people don't. Like, yeah, Jay Crowder's hitting threes last night and not in the other game, but that's okay because everybody on that team is amazing when Chris Paul's acting like the immune system of that team from the inside of the body, right? You've got Monty who's like dealing with the body as a whole and Chris Paul's inside making sure all the organs are like functioning at the top of their game. And I feel like there's no, it's, it's a very different mentality about how basketball works, which seems to me so founded on the idea of this, like depending on this star to drop 60 points. And sure, Devin Booker can do that or whatever, but the team isn't dependent upon that. And even when we saw, you know, we've seen players go out of games and a lot of these teams we beat, and I, I hate when people say like, oh, well, if, you know, Giannis doesn't play, of course you're going to win. Or, oh, Anthony Davis, you know, was down. Or, oh, Jokic. It's like, well, why is your team dependent on one person? That's what I feel about that. So uh, I wish I was there for this podcast so we could be in conversation. But it's my two cents on the Suns, the ensemble playing of the Phoenix Suns. Go all the way. Oh, I love that. I also love that you like <laughs> tried to bring your posse to this podcast. That's, that's right. That's right. To get them with yeah. no warning. Like I'm going to show yeah. up all good natured. Come be on our show. We'll talk basketball. Sure. Here's my allies. I have brought with me. That's a classy move. That's really great. Yeah. No, but I love I love what Kimberly said about just that ensemble nature, right? Because that that is the other thing I think that. Like the '90s were really awful for basketball. Like the Knicks and like what Pat Riley has done to basketball is—I don't know why we still say nice things about Pat Riley, but <laughs> but one of the things that I really appreciated about the Suns is they were like the antithesis of that Knicks team in the '90s. You know, it was fast-paced, it was free-flowing, and they sort of held on to that identity for a really, really long time. Um, but the thing I love the most, and you you will—I promise you—you you will see it in games three and four. Um, is is the Bucks also functioning as that ensemble? And that's the thing that I'm most excited about about this series is it's two teams. Right. It's not like uh, like LeBron and a bunch of role players. Like it's it's two teams, and if they don't play as a team, they don't win. Right. Which you know I just, and I love I love that as a metaphor for well life and society, but particularly theater. You know, it's just it's very affirming. It's like when the Adelman Kings were good. You know, like this is beautiful basketball. Let's validate this. Let's like make this a thing. That is yeah. incredible. Also, Kimberly Senior is just cool. So I delight. So that, uh... cool, come at you live from Chicago, and then oh, Jesse was oh. in Oregon, right? Nice. He was. Yeah, he's in a tech at OSF. Yeah. Nice. So, so you're getting all this love and all this backup from all over across the nation. Sensational. Um, yeah. Well, but you know that that is it's totally true because. So like the Suns won last night, but Chris Paul did not have a good game, right? Well, and, he didn't have a good shooting game. Yeah, right? right. Because and the thing that the thing that Chris Paul is doing right now that is beating us is it's exactly as Kimberly said. Chris Paul is controlling the tempo of the game from inside the game, and we're not we're not good at adjusting to variances in tempo, right? We're very used to dictating, playing at our own pace. Right. We are not a half court team. And Chris Paul is really turning this into a half-court series, except in those weird moments where suddenly, like, the pace is pushed and we can't react to it because we've been lulled into this half-court pace. I mean, it's really, 
it's just it's next level stuff that only a few people in a generation can really do. It's just it's breathtaking to watch. So we so that we have an actress who's going to play Lizzie for us in our Christmas at Pemberley, and her name uh -huh. is Alexis Bronkovich, and she she kind of is that player coach. Uh -huh. you know, because like as the director, you're like, I'm setting the plays, but like you're not there backstage yeah. before the show. And she's the one that's like, everyone huddle up. This is what we're gonna focus on today. You know what I mean? Like she's that same thing where like she's in the game with them all. Yeah. She's, you know, she knows the pace is going a little slow. And so from inside can, you know, yeah, in the wings get everyone to move along. And it's like, oh my God, like that's you realize like, oh yeah, that you, coaching is one thing, but yeah. but having that person who's inside it who's moving it along, who is, you know, knows how everybody is. You're right. And he didn't score a lot, right? But if he's leading, then yeah. then, they're, then they're all doing great, right? And all these people, and that's the thing, right? But the Suns is that, um, that even when their superstars don't have big games, like suddenly other people do. Suddenly people you've never heard of before, yeah. you know, step up. Well, I think it's a perfect transition as we only have 15 minutes left. Yeah, I know, I know. Is. We got to do it. We got to do it. So we're gonna play a game of virtual horse. So for anybody that's watching, if you've ever played b-ball, which I used to a long time ago, very long time ago, um, I used to play horse. So for anyone that knows what horse is, <laughs> horse is where you shoot. Well, you choose who goes first. In this case, we have home court advantage, so Sean goes first. But <laughs> what you do is you basically would shoot and then if you made it, then the next person would have to emulate the exact same shot that you shoot. But we're going to change that a little bit. And so for our game, of course, we are actually going to ask trivia questions. And so if you answer the trivia questions, great. So you advance to the next question. If you fail, though, then you will be given a letter. First person to get to spell horse is the loser. And the other person remains the victor. Are you ready? Oh, let's do this. I'm ready. Oh I don't know a lot of trivia, so I, you know, this is going to be a short game, but I'm ready. But I have a special twist. So I will have Brent answer only questions related to the Phoenix Suns, and Sean answer questions only related to the Bucks. Great. Let's Great. have it. Okay, I can't wait to see how terrible you guys do. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is first for Sean. What is the Bucks team mascot? And do you know their name? And if you've been listening, Brent has been sharing that. I name gave this to you in like a 10-minute monologue. I know, I know, but I got uh oh, but I but I I don't know the act like it's I don't know the name of it. I know what he's been saying the whole time, but I don't I know it's a buck, right? Right. Okay, so that's 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 half the point. That yeah, but and the name is like Bido? <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. No, I I'm but, but you got half of it. You got half of it. So you're, you're still in the game. Okay, good. Um, you got her a I, scorekeeper. Wow. I, I, well, you know, he's my boss. No, uh, no I did. <laughs> Respect the relationship. Respect yeah, yeah. the relationship. Oh, no, just kidding. Um, so, Brent, what hmm. is the Phoenix Suns team mascot and the name? Yeah, I mean, it's a gorilla, but the name, I mean, it's just the gorilla, right? It is not. Oh, it actually has a name? It has a name. The name is Go the Gorilla. Wow. 
But we're you know, so he, never, never was I getting mad. So I feel, I feel like we're the same, right? Yeah, like, no, Todd, no we're there. you're totally the same. You're totally the uh -huh. same. So we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. Good job, though. And it's Bango. Oh, Bango! Right. All right. Yes. Okay. All right. Show. Oh, I also gave you this answer too. Huh? Okay. In what arena does the teams play? What is the name of the arena in Milwaukee? Is it the Forum? I it, think I think I might have to give you half that point. That, that's half. That's half of it. Yeah, yeah. Is it a is it a is it a corporate name? Yes. Oh. Then but, I then, yeah. But the form is pretty good. I yeah. feel like I may give that to you. Okay, and to Brent. Yes. So this is the one I always think, and I said before in the beginning, like I'm never going to get this in a million years because I always get it wrong and I can never think of what the right one is. But I did think of the right one. Is Talking Stick Resort Arena? Well, you mm. would have been right had this been last year. Oh, is it new? <laughs> yes. Oh, I felt so good about myself. Oh, I know Darn. you did. It is actually just in 2020 was changed to the PHX or the Phoenix Arena. Okay. That's just what it's called now. You know, That's way the, better than Talking Stick, though, honestly. But it's like, but it's also like Talking Stick is still there. Like those words are still out. Like they're still outside. Like when you walk oh. by. Right. That is true. Okay, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll give that to you. I'll give yeah. that to you. And I'll give. I, I really love the generous scoring here. This is really. I'm just very generous person. Okay, great. <laughs> so, this is to Sean. What is Milwaukee's state slogan? Milwaukee uh, is the state. Uh, um, the uh, beer and cheese state. <laughs> That's actually a really good guess, I think. But that is not accurate. Oh. That is America's Dairyland. Oh, well, that, that's how you get, right? Beer and cheese, right? That is how you get the cheese. But you get an H. Okay, all right. So. All right. And for you, Brent, I'm keeping score. Oh. What is our state slogan in Arizona? I, I'm the sunshine state? Oh, it is not. It no, is the I... Grand Canyon State. Mm, okay. So both of you now have H's. Oh, this is so what? great. We we are we are the recount state. That is our actual. <laughs> we are gonna we are gonna keep yeah. counting the votes until we get one. forever and that ever. That is ever. so true. Okay. Yeah. The next question. When were the teams founded, Sean? So this is, I don't know the exact answer, but I know what's cool about it is because mm -hmm. we were, we came into the league at the same time. Um, and there was a coin flip to decide who got the first pick and we lost. Um, so I'm going to say 1968. Okay. And Brent, what is your answer since it's the same year? <laughs> Yeah, founded founded 68, first season concluded 69. You both are accurate. I really Yeah. Oh. 1968. Good job. Yeah. All right. Next slide. For Sean, what year did did the Bucks reach their first NBA final? 
uh, uh, I'm going to say, well, they 71. I'm going to say 71. Slay! Good job, Sean. Okay. And what year did the Phoenix Suns reach their first NBA final? 1993. Oh. 1976. You have now earned yourself an really? O. 1976. So this is I our. I had no is, idea. This is our third time in it. Wow. Okay. Awesome. I thought it was the second trip. All right. I will walk away educated. <laughs> no, I know. I learned about bingo. We were all we're all <laughs> we're all yeah. richer for the experience. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Now who on the next one? Who was oh thank you so much, Alex? Who was the first player from each team to win rookie of the year? Sean, you go first. Well, I guess I would say Kareem Abdul Jabbar. I'm gonna guess. Good job, Sean. Coming up with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. Except it was Lou Elsinder at the time. Okay. Oh, no, I won't. I won't hold you up on that technicality. Just right, yeah. so yeah. you know, I almost did that, and then I said, "Don't be rude," and we'll keep it a career. Yeah, that's his real it's name, right? Like when someone changes gender, we refer to them that way the exactly. whole time. That's you know, it's interesting. My, my brother and I were just having this conversation last night watching the game because there were some statistic that Aiton did, you know, compared well, and they put. Luel Cinder up on the screen instead of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I was like, really? that that feels, and that was exactly the conversation. Like, that's kind of like misgendering someone at this point, isn't it? Because that's that's when not he, his name. That's right. When he tells you what his new name is, that's his name, right? Exactly. And always has been. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for, for you, Brent. I'm going to guess Walter Davis, because that's like the first good Suns player I can think of. You are inaccurate. Is it Paul Westfall? Is it Dick Van Arsdale or Tom Van Arsdale? It's Alvin Adams. Yeah, I wasn't going to get that either. Whoa. Okay. I wouldn't have got that either. I wouldn't have got that. I first. totally forgot Alvin Adams and ever played for the Suns. All right. That was in 1976, and Kareem was in 1970. Okay. Who was the first player? So next slide. Who was the first player of the Bucks, Sean, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Is it also Kareem? I mean, is that? I feel like he's. Uh, I'm getting a shake of the head, but that's what I'd go. No, with. you're just gonna answer Kareem the whole time. No, you've just earned yourself a no. Yeah, who was it? It was Oscar Robertson uh, in 1980. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's tricky because he only played for us for like three years at the very end of his career. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's a hard well, one. Well, uh, he's I, a big deal. I feel like Brent, you might get this one. I, I'm going to go back to Walter Davis. Oh! Or should I have gone Alvin Adams? <laughs> or your other guess of the other one, which was Connie Hawkins. Oh, Connie. Ah, the, yeah, the Hawk. In 92. Okay, yeah. perfect. God, there have been so many good Suns players. Wow. We're so close. We're so close. You know, okay. we had the second best record overall of any team that has ever not won the NBA title. Like, we are the second best. <laughs> ever to have never won it. Wow. So we have all these great players, right? Yeah, tons. Right? Okay, next slide. Sean, who's the coach for the Bucks? Oh, uh starts start with the start with the B? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know. Uh he's he looks he's he looks like a nice dad. 
He looks like <laughs> Nelson Muntz from The Simpsons. He, that's right. He, lo he looks like, you know, he's like, uh, wears kind of puffy sweaters. He's a little overweight. He's, you know, <laughs> not maybe not puffy coats, but like, like you could, you could talk to him if you had a problem. If you were to say B, lead into it, what would that be? Oh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know who it is. Yeah. It's Mike Budenholzer. Oh, okay. Did I say that right, Brent? Yeah, yeah. Well done. Hey, oh, okay. Brent, same question for you. Who is uh, the coach of the Phoenix Suns? I mean, I can see him. It's Monty Williams, right? Yes! Yeah. Good job! Yeah. Good job. So Everybody Sean, loves Monty Williams. He's yeah. great. Sean earned an R, and you got that one right. So you both are tied, H-O-R, at the moment. Okay. Next question. There have been two women drafted to the NBA. Oh. What were their names? Sean? No. Uh, well, <laughs> probably Becky. But I, I don't know. Okay. Britt, your turn. Nope. I'm not even. No, I, I don't know. And I'm ashamed that I don't know. I should. I'm going to encourage you to do some research after you're done. The two <laughs> were Louisa Harris and Denise Long. Oh, not a Becky. No, nah. okay. nope. So you both get S's. Yeah. Right. And deservedly so. so yeah. Deservedly so. All right, Sean, what year was the NBA founded? Uh, 64. Brent? These are hard questions. Oh, yeah, um, I know. 19... 47. You were so close. It was 1946. Oh. But I think I think that calls it you have just earned your E. Sean wins the game of horse. Woo! But so he was wrong too. I like it mean he doesn't get an E. Because we ran out of questions. Oh, okay, you know what? You know what? Forgive me. You are right. <laughs> We're okay, both okay. tied for. Wait, wait. I'll, I'll ask you one this, more, this, one this more is, tie break. One more tie is, break. This, this is what the Bucks versus the Suns is. Is like two teams that like aren't very good at winning, trying <laughs> to figure out like who will. You don't win. know how to do it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Alex, don't worry about bringing up the graphic. I'm just going to ask one last question because I think maybe this might be the deciding vote. Who is the richest NBA player ever and what is their net worth? You have to get both. Like from playing or like from like endorsements and post-career stuff? I would, I would, I would say Jordan. Okay. And I'm going to say like 23 billion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you, Brent? Um, I am also going to go with Mr. Jordan. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say like 450 million. Okay. So you both <laughs> were right. What is this, this question? <laughs> That's Michael Jordan, but he is worth 1.5 billion. So One, even yeah. with the extra bonus question, you both tie. Both tie. Both are winners. That's right. We both won. 
Oh. That concludes this game of horse. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chanel. That's amazing. That was amazing. And thank, thank you, you to Alex for working those slides like a yeah, thank tremendous, you. wonderful job. Um, okay, right. so we should wrap it up quick because we went we went over time. Brent, what's your word you want to leave us with? Um, optimistic. Good. And why? Um, well, most immediately, I feel like we're going to win these next two games, but uh, I'm also looking out a window here that's overlooking Lake Michigan, and it's a beautiful evening, which makes me feel good about the world. I feel good about where our industry is going, notwithstanding all the exhaustion talk we had before, and just feel like it's a great conversation. Had a good time hanging out with a couple of rad people who are working for a company that feels super like-minded, and it's always nice to know that there's always that energy in the world so yeah i'm 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 feeling full and optimistic awesome. i love that well thank you so much for being a guest on hang and focus live if you can see on the screen below that is how you can see more that's going on at milwaukee chamber theater please feel free to show patronage to their wonderful theater and we thank you for being just the most fantastic guest i love a good moment to do a little bit of trash talking but then also like have a good beautiful heartfelt conversation so thank you for being our good. guest i appreciate you both bucks and six you are right <laughs> No way. No We're way. two and all right now. So you know. We yeah. we've we've been down O2 before. It'll be no. fine. <laughs> It'll Thank be good. You. <laughs> Thank you so all much. Right, friends. Thank you. See Take you care. soon. Let's toss it to the call board. Thank you. Thank you, Chanel. Absolutely. Thank you. And sending it over to Alex for this week's call board. Great. What's your call board for July 9th to July 15th, 2021? Hi, I'm assistant digital producer Alex Hollis, and thank you so much for joining us today. Rashawn sat down with Brent Hazelton, artistic director of Milwaukee Chamber Theater. Be sure to join us next Friday, July 16th at 4 p.m. Arizona time for another exciting guest on Hang and Focus Live. Now it's time to find out what's happening in theaters around Arizona. Mesa Community College and Teatro Bravo are presenting Threes a Party. This online-only event is available to stream through July 17th. Check out more at teatrobravo.org or mesacc.edu arts. Arizona Theatre Matters is bringing us their summer festival with four full productions that are available to view online from now until July 31st. You can check out more at arizonatheatermatters.org. Now let's head down to Tucson. Invisible Theater is bringing us The Photographer Discloses, a one-woman show by local artist Gretchen Werges. This event is in person until July 10th. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please tell a friend, pass it along, like us on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe to us on YouTube, ring that bell so you can be notified when we air live and to see our latest content. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we look forward to seeing you next week.